Welcome to the weekend. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series. Our flashback is from the classic three plus three Isley Brothers album. My guest is Chris Jasper, Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award winner, as well as Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. Elements of this hit was used in Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly in 2015, which won them all several Grammys.
Series. Those smooth sounds were from Chris Jasper. Chris Jasper of the legendary Isley Brothers, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, as well as a Grammy Lifetime Achievement winner. To find out more about Chris's music, go to his website, chrisjasper.com. Chris and I are coming at you right now. Chris Jasper, welcome. Yes, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, and how's the weather? Well, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get the snow they were talking about, but uh, it's, it's definitely cold. <laughs> definitely, I'm in, from New Jersey, so I, I'm kind of used to it. But yeah, when it, when that wind it gets below uh, zero, it's it's creepy. <laughs> oh yeah, most definitely. Gotta stay inside. Yeah, most definitely. Um, we are talking about your wonderful career, not only as a solo artist and part of. Uh, Isley Jasper Isley with the Isley Brothers. I want to go back to your early beginnings. Where are you from and what was growing up like for you? Uh, well, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, actually everybody is from Cincinnati, Ohio, the whole group. Uh, and um, it was uh, it was pretty nice there. You know, it's uh, mostly a suburban area. Uh, uh, the families, you know, kind of were very close uh, when I was growing up. Uh, actually, we lived on the same block. Mm-hmm. And um you know I I started I started getting interested in music when I was like maybe 7 years old. I was uh, I used to play by ear. I used to play the piano that my mother had and uh hear hear a song on the radio, you know, try to play it. And um you know that's where I started and you know she she uh, encouraged me to take lessons and I did and uh, that's when I started to understand how to read music and you know how to analyze music and now you were classically trained you're classically trained yeah. right mm-hmm. yes uh i was uh i had a uh my piano teacher was from the Cincinnati conservatory of music and uh you know he would teach me how you know the the composers would you know use their uh, themes you know what kind of uh, uh chord structures they would use you know how they and actually how they went about writing music and that kind of started me on um uh, I guess, uh, the road to uh, being a songwriter. Wow. Now, when you were playing that music as a child, what were you listening to in your early stages, say around 8 years old, 10 years old? What were yeah. you actually trying to imitate? Uh, uh, Sam Cooke, um, <laughs> Ray Charles, <laughs> Marvin Gaye, you know. Uh, they, were, they were big influences on me coming up. Uh, I used to love their music. Beautiful. 
you moved into um, going to college, but before that, in the teen scene in the 60s and whatnot, what was going on and what, who were you influenced by going into your teen years? Well, uh, that's when, you know, the Motown sounds uh, became, you know, very popular and I was definitely influenced by the Motown, you know, writers and producers and, of course, the artists, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was a big influence on me. Um, and by that time, uh, I had formed a, a trio with Ernie and Marvin, the, the younger uh, Isley brothers. Uh, we had we had a group called the Jasmine Trio, mm-hmm. and we used to play high schools and churches and uh, that kind of thing. And that's how we kind of get got started was with with our own group. Mm-hmm. And as uh, time went on, uh, the older guys you know saw us and you know they wanted to uh, have us play on their records too. So. <laughs> Um, you know, eventually the two groups, you know, came together, and everybody saw us, you know, when we did the 3 Plus 3 album. <laughs> That's when uh, the public saw the three younger people, uh, members of the group. Back in the 60s, you um, are the, uh, uh, well, son-in-law, or how are you related to? Oh, no, Rudolph, Rudolph Isley is married to my sister. Okay. Elaine. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how it's okay. That's the relation. What did you yeah. learn from the three older Isleys being in the record business? Because I know that they had their own label before they went to Motown, and then they got their own label afterwards. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now what did you uh, learn the- about the music business just being on the, not necessarily the sidelines, but within the family? What did you learn? Well, it... The first thing I think I learned was how it was kind of tough touring, you know, because that was the first thing um, um, I became aware of. You know, I wasn't aware of a lot of the other, you know, business things that took place, you know, like contracts and things like that. Um, I hadn't been exposed to that. But um, I just, you know, realized, and I heard the stories, you know, they used to tell about, you know, going on the road and that it was, you know, it was pretty tough, you know. Uh, a lot of hours spent driving and going from place to place. Uh, sometimes the places they, they would stay weren't great, you know. Even some of the places they played weren't great, you know. And, uh, mm. It was just a rough rough kind of thing being on the road. That's the first thing I learned. Mm-hmm. So you're you're learning that part, and you're seeing the Isley Brothers and the success they had. Then they went to Motown, then they found out that they were a big deal over in England. It was after that they decided to go out on their own? Uh, they When they were with Motown, I think they had the um, the, the the biggest success there was This So Heart of Mine, that song there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was maybe a couple of years, uh, two or three years later, is when they formed uh, uh, Teaneck Records. And uh, I think the first release on that was uh, it's your thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that was 1969. Were you on that? So, uh, no, I was. I was a senior in high school at the time. I was at that time. <laughs> yeah, when that record came out. Yeah. So you're walking into a newly formed, um, not necessarily a newly formed group, but you're walking into Teaneck that they have started. They've learned a bit about the music industry, and they're writing and producing their own music at this time. Yeah, they were, they they wrote that song. Yeah, and um, they also had uh, at the time they had a band, uh, and the, the band leader was uh, George Patterson. 
mm-hmm. and you know he would do some of the arrangements, you know, well all the arrangements at the time uh, of, of the, the songs, you know, the horn parts, and um, you know it was it was a different uh, kind of setup then than it was when the three of us got involved, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still of, learning from that, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we learned because I used to I used to sit there and watch you know George write out the parts, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the horn parts and everything, because I was going to Juilliard at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I'd come down and you know um, come to the office, and you know we'd be in the room there with, with the piano, and he'd be writing out the parts and you know discussing you know you know who would play what you know, <laughs> and it was it was that was a good learning experience for me too, uh, just you know just watching that go on. Yeah, the reason I get back to the business part is many people make it in the music industry on the front end, but the back end business-wise, that's where people can run into trouble. So you're Mm -hmm. learning this, you know, you're classically trained, you've just gotten your degree, and you're, well, from a teenager, you're learning all of this and moving Mm -hmm. into the late 60s. What was the music scene like in the late 60s? Um, There was a lot of uh, bands, you know, that were out there making music. Uh, there were also, you know, vocal groups out there making music, like the Temptations, you know, the Icy Brothers, and you know, some others, uh, Shy Lights, you know, Stylistics. There but was a music lot. Was things of, had changed, right? Musically, yeah, yeah. From musically, the, this it, old it started. Line, you said this yeah. your thing. It's a major hop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it started to change into uh, music produced by a band. A self-contained band, you know, a band that wrote their own music. That I think that was the biggest change from, say, the uh, this a heart of mine time to, it's your thing and thereafter. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, the bands were starting to uh, write their own music and go into the studio and record it. You know, by themselves. Uh, you know, of course, with sometimes with the producer, sometimes the band would be the producer. Uh, but that was the biggest difference in, in how things were st- starting to change. Wow. The three plus three album, landmark album. Um, and there's a lot of change going on within the Isley Brothers now. You three are actually part of the group. What's going on there? And, and this, I take it from It's Your Thing. That is the first Motown or post-Motown group who actually won a Grammy. <laughs> and um, it's rather interesting that uh, they went to Teenek to do that because I can imagine uh, listening to the stuff on Mo- on Motown at the time that it could have actually been released on Motown. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, Motown was trying to make some changes too uh, mm-hmm. around that time. Um, they, they they started to have other producers, you know, involved as well. So I think everybody in the industry was trying to uh, change at that time right around 69, 70, um, even Mar- Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On" album that came out in '71, that was a big change, you know, from the other Motown records. Uh, it was Stevie a change, Wonder, but he had to fight Motown as well as Stevie Wonder to actually. Well, Stevie Wonder, yes, yeah. it was. It, it was, you know, a change. Sometimes is always a little rough, you know, mm. because especially when a, when a, a company gets uh, in the, uh, I guess, uh, is used to recording a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when when that new thing comes, sometimes it's not recognized for what it is, and you know, of course, for sure, Marvin Gaye's "What's Going on Album," "What's Going on Album" was one of those. But 
there was there was just you know people were trying to do things differently. You know, uh, Stevie wanted to use the synthesizer at that time much differently than anybody else had ever done. You know, <laughs> and um, those changes were coming. You know, whether you know whether Gordy was ready for it or not, <laughs> you know, they were they were coming, and um, it was happening all over the all over the recording industry. People were changing the way they did things, and so we did too. Uh, you know, when the three of us started to become involved, we, things started to change. I started to use a lot of my my classical uh, experience in the music, you know, in the parts I was playing. Mm-hmm. You know, it changed the sound of the group, you know, um, and that became more and more the sound of the Icy Brothers. Even Even to this day, people talk about, you know, my music having that sound, and it's because... That lady was amazing. You know, yeah, that, that lady, lady was whoa. a totally different sound. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, than what we were doing before, because you know, uh, again, the chord structures have changed, and the, of course, the addition of you know Ernie playing guitar and, and adding that element into it, it just changed the the, the sound completely. And um, these things were just going on; they were they were going to happen because of who was involved in the group, you know. Uh, and and the more we got involved, the less. You know, we used other band members. You know, it, it became more about that sound than the previous sound. Wow! You also within that uh, not only the trio but the, the group were doing a lot more writing and arranging. And you say that you were doing that with Marvin and Ernie. Yeah, Ernie. Yeah. You had um, an anthem, uh, several. In the seventies, um, fight the power. Fight the power would be used. Well, Public Enemy and others. That is an anthem. Tell us about that song. What was it about? Well, it was really fight the power was about. Uh, if there's a, a main theme to it, it would be uh, getting your voice heard. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people back then felt they weren't being listened to. You know, for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be the government, whether that be their college, or whether, you know, whatever experience they were going in life, there seemed to be a lot of red tape. You know, you couldn't get to the source you wanted to get to. Uh, we even had those experiences sometimes with radio. You know, sometimes you would ha- we'd have a big record and some other stations wouldn't play it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why that part's in the, in, in, the, in the bridge. You know, I tried to play my music. They said my music's too loud. And I tried talking about it. We got the big runaround. Mm-hmm. And when I rolled with the punches, I got knocked on the ground by all this BS going down. Mm-hmm. You know, it was about, you know, listen, you know, will, will somebody listen to me? That's what that song is saying, you know, and we got to fight the powers that be. Uh, so basically, that's what it was about. You also had the pride. Um, you had mm-hmm. Harvest for the World. You had they, These actually speak not only to things people are going through. I mean, it, it's just mm-hmm. um, a theme that is so universal, not only for that time, but for now, when you mm-hmm. listen to the, the lyrics. Uh, the Pride, what was that about? Well, that, that came to me in a dream, actually. Um, uh, I, I had a dream that uh, we were at a concert, and, and the guys, some guys came up to me and said, hey, man, I like the, the, the song you guys did about the politician, you know. And uh, I said, okay, cool, you know. And I, and I woke up and I wrote that down, you know, song about the politician. So I said, okay, maybe that's a basis for something, you know, maybe I can do something with that. 
So um, <clears throat> as I usually do, I always go with the music first. You know, I got something going that was, you know, I, I thought was pretty good. You know, with the clavinet and the electric piano, mm-hmm. and then I started to work out the lyrics. You know, and um, and I said, well, since you know, I got the the kind of uh, inspiration, you know, to, to, to talk about the politician, I'll, I'll I'll write the song along those lines. You know, mm-hmm. politician come to power, take it slow. You know, and um, it's really really talking about the you know the power that they have and, and mm-hmm. the people need them to do the right thing, basically, you know. That's what it's really talking about. I want to throw out another one that um, I really like, was Harvest for the World. Well, it's about uh, haves and has-nots, you know, mm-hmm. people who have, mm-hmm. you know, half of us are satisfied, half of us in need, you know. Mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, when will there be a har- when will it be a time when everybody, uh, you know, has uh, opportunity and everybody has... Um, you know, fairness, all, all mm-hmm. those things. You know, that's that's what's included in all those things. Is um, because there seems to be you know inequities, mm-hmm. you know, all over the place in, in, in life, and for one reason or another. But um, we do know that we know when Christ returns, that will be rectified. But mm-hmm. um, it's kind of Definitely. asking a question. You know, let's ask that question. When will things be fair? I mean, and the Bible tells us when, but. Um, uh, it's just asking that question. You know. Also speaking to the romantic side, you know, you do have beautiful ballads like Groove With You and For the Love of You and Between the Sheets. So you, you kind of, if you didn't get us dancing on the floor or get a generation or generations, multi-generations of dancing on the floor, you also have the romantic side of things. Who was doing the romantic writing? Um, well, most of the ideas uh, came from either me or Ernie. So it's one of the two of us, and sometimes both of us when we collaborated on stuff. But, you know, the, the bulk of the writing came from me and Ernie. You know, once in a while, you know, Marvin would write some lyrics here and there. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's a, yeah, uh, we're, we're to blame. <laughs> we're to blame for all, a lot of babies and a lot of couples and... You know, love is what you love, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, guys are guilty. <laughs> one of the two of us. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, yeah. I wanted to ask, because we, we talk about entrepreneurship here on the show and um, mm-hmm. the importance of uh, being able to, uh, you know, build things for yourself. I know now you have your own record label. But in terms of the music composition and being able to study, uh, when you were studying with Mr. Taylor, Billy Taylor, at the, was it W uh, C W Post College? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were studying, first of all, what type of musician was he, and oh. what takeaways, three takeaways, did you you get from working and, and learning from him? Well, he was he was a uh, what I would call a jazz composer slash pianist, pianist, and probably one of the best. Uh, I think I've seen uh, because when I took his class, it, it was uh, like up close and personal with him. You know, uh, you know, we gather around the piano, and he would, you know, give us some history about what he was getting ready to do, getting ready to play, and he would show us the different techniques that uh, you know, different guys like Art Tatum and uh, those guys back then, Fast Waller, you know, that that they would use, and he would play it, and he was just, you know. Flawless at, at, at what he did, I, and I was extremely blessed to be able to study 
you know, uh, under him. Uh, but, um, I, you know, the things I learned was he, he was uh, a very, very, uh, uh, what should I say, studious in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he really paid attention to everything, everything people would do. And uh, that, that observation, uh, I, I, I do the same thing. And, I, and I've kind of been the same way, you know, in my life. And as, even as an early kid, I always observed things. And, you know, I wrote from observation some of the lyrics that I write. So I noticed that about him, you know, that he would observe people, you know, the same kind of way. And he was very persistent, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, all, all those good qualities. I, I, I found him a, a very kind person, too. You know, uh, he wasn't, uh, you know, like you hear some people in the industry, they're like, you know, they had, they're heartless and things. He, he was a kind person, too. Very, very intelligent, too. So, um, it was, a, it was a blessing, you know, to, to have that kind of background. You know, first, first the background I had as a child, and then I went to Juilliard, and then I studied with him, and then there were some other, uh, really good composition teachers at C.W. Post, Howard Rovix, and, uh, Ronald Pluskoff. And I just, mm-hmm. I was just, Surrounded with a lot of, uh, you know, great people, and you know, that's a the blessing that I had. From 1969 to '83, uh, the Isley Brothers really '84 uh, hit hit the charts, just consistently with albums after album. And I'm sure between that time, I'd say that 16 to 17 year period, you learned about business. What happened with the Isley Brothers, and why did um, Isley Jasper Isley starts. Well, it had to do with business, basically, and you know finances. Um, it, that was the main cause of, of, of the breakup. Mm. Um, and you know, it was this. We had we had uh, uh, a, a certain financial situation. The older guys, you know, had tax problems and um, things that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, Basically, it was that's why it was a split because they wanted us to file bankruptcy along with them when we didn't have to, mm-hmm. and it would have been, you know, bad for us if we did, you know. And so um, when I explained that to them, you know, they didn't like it. You know, they wanted everybody to jump into the same boat, and we weren't willing to do that. So that's why the group kind of split. Isley Jasper Isley. And yeah. Caravan of Love, we're talking romance again. Beautiful, beautiful song. Um, in the 80s, you know, you started in the 60s. You've been able to see a lot of things, good and bad, happen. What was the music industry like in the 80s? Um, um, it was a lot of, hmm, there was a change going on, too, there. I mean, we just came out of disco, uh, you know, and the 80s was... 80s were the production. Uh, Really, I I saw the biggest change in the production, the way music was being produced, and uh, the equipment that people were using, the the boards in particular. Um, There there became, you know, less bass involved in records and more snare drum, and it was, it was like the synthesizer sounds that were being used were different than from the 70s, Uh, and it made the music sound different, and. that was a big musical change that was happening. Uh, there was, you know, more, some, you know, rap was starting to come in to play uh, in, in the 80s, and which was changing the business a little, too. So then the production and, and the introduction of, of, you know, rap music was was what the 80s was about, you know. 
Mm. Well, rap actually, well, started in the 70s, but it got a little more, I guess, pop play in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, it was getting more popular. Yeah. Because there was a rapper's delight, you know, that was the first uh, first one I remember, uh, where they used, you know, good times for the chic. That, that was the basis of the song. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sugar Hill Gang did that record. And then, mm. you know, after that, you know, it was, it wasn't, it, it, that one was huge. And then a lot of people started to do songs, but it never, you know, it, it really picked up in the 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. And through, throughout the 90s, you know, the 90s was the, like the hot, the hot time for it. Well, it's interesting. We call it rap music, but, um, you know, as early as probably the 60s and 70s, Blowfly and, um, a guy by the name of Pig Meat Markham, and here comes the judge. That mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. I listen to that? And I didn't know it really existed. I'm, you know, I'm much younger. I'm like, wow, sounds like rap to me. <laughs> it sounds yeah, great. you know. And Isaac Hayes, you know, Isaac Hayes had a uh, album. Uh, I think it was uh, when was that? That was set in the seventies, early seventies, uh, and it was it had four songs on it, and. A big part of the song was him talking for about four minutes before he got he went into the song. Mm-hmm. So, but it but it, it wasn't rapping to the beat. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. just like narrating a story. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but yeah, and people people had rapped before. You know, had talked on on records before. But I think that's I, I think you know with with the syncopated you know rhythm or whatever it is that mm-hmm. uh, the rappers do when they when they rap to the beat that was a little different. Yeah, it became probably more of a message music too, in, in with the popularization of not just rappers delight, but um, the message, mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash, and other others that came out. Now, your song Caravan of Love. What was the uh, background for that song? Well, I wanted to do something. First of all, I remember I wanted to do something soulful. That was the first thought. Um, because the previous album, we had experimented on a lot of different kind of songs. You know, like there was a Top 40 song on there. There was a like a, 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 a rock song on there. There was, uh, you know, a, just a variety of things. And I, you know, and I, and I was telling Ernie Marvin, you know, we need to get back to, you know, some soul. You know, the, the things that people know us. Uh, uh, and uh, I started from there, you know, musically. I wanted to have a nice chord progression, but then I wanted to have a message out there, you know, that was kind of universal in a way too. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of where the song came from. Um, I didn't know it was going to be that big though when I <laughs> when I was writing it, mm-hmm. but uh, I got a feeling once we recorded it because uh, the track sounded so good when we recorded it. I, you know, I got really good feelings from it. It's a great song. You went solo. Um, I, I, Isley Jasper Isley lasted a few years. Yeah, three years, three albums. And why did that happen in terms of the breakup? Well, he uh, Ernie Ernie wanted to do something else. He resigned from the group, so okay. we couldn't con- we couldn't continue to go with Isley Jasper Isley. So um, CBS asked me, did I want to do a solo project? And I said, well, okay, I guess that's the only thing I can do. <laughs> we, can't, okay. we can't do IGI anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what made me go solo. When going solo, I know you uh, do secular as well as gospel. Tell me about the gospel that you do. Yeah, that's 
the gospel is just a change in message. What I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't, I didn't feel I needed to change my music, right? You know, and the, the musical approach is basically the same. Because mm-hmm. uh, on your I, I new on your new composition, I I really like peaceful again. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it's talking about, of course, the time when Christ returns and there will be peace on earth, right. and that's why I started it off with the, you know, this song is dedicated to the proclamation that one day there will be peace on earth because Christ has proclaimed that. So you know, it's I I I, I try to put a message like that in almost all of my albums, you know, if if at all possible. But the four gospel albums I did are strictly, you know, from Scripture, based on Scripture and, and God's principles. Um, every song is. so, and, and every song that I, I've done, I mean, even these love songs, you know, they're, they're still from God's principles. They're from, you know, uh, a, a person be, being married and, you know, uh, like still in love is, is about that. Uh, the one is about that, you know. Uh, all of my songs are... Or I, I try to base whatever I say and do on God's principles, you know. That's, You've been that's married now for about music. 30, 30 years, over 30 years now. It was 32 on the 14th. Beautiful. Now, yeah, that's and, beautiful. And yeah. um, in terms of the music, the one, and uh, on mm-hmm. the one, I've listened to beautiful romantic ballads as well as the funky Rock the Foundation um, awesome music. What inspired the one? And I, 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 I can just see it now. You just said on the 14th you were married for 32 yeah. years. Yeah, <laughs> 32 years. It's, uh, well, the one, you know, I wanted to do things that on this album that uh, I've done previously, like, you know, when I was with the group, and even some things I've done live that maybe I hadn't done on record, mm-hmm. you know. Um I wanted all those elements to be in this this album, and uh, I, I think I was able to do that. Beautiful, yeah. I, I love the diversity, and of course your voice, and and you know not only does it have romantic ballads, but it has you know danceable uh, danceable grooves to it. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering now, where do you want to go with your music? What's next for Chris Jasper? Well, uh, I'm I'm in like the uh, promotion mode right now with this with the CD, mm-hmm. uh, and you know I, wa- I do want to do some live concerts. You know, maybe uh, you know when people get more familiar with the record. Uh, but that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm also, I'm also working on a project with my son Michael. So um, we're working on that project, and um, you know I'm always coming up with ideas. So there'll there'll be another CD after this one. <laughs> You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you last year were able to get a lifetime Grammy. I know that's that's just wonderful. Congratulations! Uh, I know you didn't do this whole music career for these types of accolades, but the music that you've done have influenced so many people, from Slick Rick, Common, Whitney Houston, Queen Latifah, Jay Z. I wanted to ask you though. Public Enemy coming out with Fight the Power, uh, some maybe ten years later. Uh, what, did you consider it a compliment when uh, you know the next generation of people actually uh, are, are looking backward and thinking, you know, that that's a great term. Let's use that. You know, uh, what do you think of, of people actually using your music today? Yeah, that's always a compliment when somebody uses the music because uh, you know. 
it's 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 just one of those things where they don't have to. They, there's so many songs that a person could, you know, maybe cover or sample, or and then I, it's just a great compliment when they use something that I've done. Gold City Records. What do you ever see yourself collaborating? Do you work with the Isley Brothers now? What's going on? No, I'm I'm just working with you know myself basically. That's that's number one, and then uh, if there's you know, an artist I want to work with, you know, like I've signed some artists in the past, you know, work with some other artists too. Shaka Khan, I really Shaka Khan, really want to yeah. For her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's whatever I choose to, to uh, I guess, involve myself with, I, I will, but I'm trying to concentrate on these two projects now, you know. Wonderful. I wanted to ask you, and, and I can. I, I could see it now, somebody saying, why didn't you ask them about the synthesizer and how it's evolved and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I look at synthesizers in pictures and what they used to be, and they used to look like some sort of weapon, man. Those things look heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I can see some of my, my, my uh, listeners uh, screaming at me if I don't ask you this. How did the synthesizer evolve from that big contraption we saw back in the 60s to, you know, pretty something pretty lightweight today? Yeah, it's incredible how the technology has, uh, I guess, improved in that regard. I mean, they used to be like, um, you know, very large, and, they, and you had to have a lot of, uh, you know, patch cords and patch bays, and uh, you had to be kind of like a, an engineer to know how to work it. You know? mm-hmm. um, now they're very simple. They have preset sounds in them, you know. What were um, you lugging around in the beginning? Oh, I had um, what they would call an ARP an ARP twenty six hundred. It was a uh, it was a keyboard, but it had another uh, like console thing that was you could connect by a cable to it, and the console you could program the sound uh, on the console. Uh, and I, I I actually got it customized, and, and I was able to uh, you know put a strap on it and get a like a twenty five foot cable. For it, and I used to strap it on, you know, during the shows, and play like stuff like "Take Me to the Next Phase," you know, on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love that song. It was, <laughs> uh, it, 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 you know, it changed. You know, um, they came out with something called computer chips, and they started putting the chips in there for the sounds, which made it, which made the uh, the whole mechanism uh, smaller. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the sound producing mechanism smaller, so you were able to get a lot of sounds. In this, in, in, with using these chips, and it made the instrument lighter. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, wow. all all the keyboards I've I've gotten, you know, have been you know pretty light. You know, in comparison to that first one. <laughs> Amen for that, huh? Yeah, now take me yeah. to the next phase. Is one that one I didn't even ask about. What was the meaning of that song? Um, that was one that Ernie wrote, and um, <laughs> he could probably explain it better, but. Uh, you know, I've <laughs> things he wrote were, were not direct at all. You know what okay. I mean? It, it, it hard to hard to pick up the lyric, but um, uh, I guess I guess if I would say because I think there were different meanings in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take me to the next level. You know, okay. like, let's let's go to the next level of whatever we're doing. You know, that's kind of an overall thing, but. Um, it's just, it's just what I, you know, what I got from the lyrics. You know. Wow. Now, you can be reached 
on all social media, but what is one shot deal where everybody can find everything about you? Uh, give us a shout out. Yep, just go to chrisjasper.com. Everything is there. Everything is at chrisjasper.com. Thank you. You've been listening to Building Abundant Success with Sabrina Marie. Copyright, April 28th, 2023.